Hey, this is Joe Williams, and I'm the lead pastor at New Life Christian Church in Bella Vista, Arkansas. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. Whether you're a seasoned follower of Christ or just now beginning to explore what being a Christian is all about, our prayer is that this message would strengthen your faith. Now sit back and let's open up the Bible and see what God has to say this week. Uh, We are proud to have representatives from all 18 of our church's ministry partners with us at New Life today. No doubt you noticed all the commotion, more than usual, out in the atrium when you came in here today. And um, um, if you look in your bulletin this morning, there is a brochure that has a list of all 18 of our mission partners and a short description of what they do and who they are and, and where they work and what their focus is. And, and I'd just like to invite you to familiarize yourself at some point today with, with that brochure. And also, I would like for you as we leave here today, to uh, take some time to walk around the booths and get acquainted with those who are out there who represent these missions organizations and, and missionaries who are out there. Learn what they're doing and, and get acquainted. Grab their literature. Read all about. Talk to them. Have them share some stories about what God is doing in their ministries. And I promise you, it will not take very long for you to be blown away by what God is doing through them around the world. And so I want to invite you to be inspired. I invite you to just learn and grow. And and maybe even some of you would want to partner with them in ways you can't even imagine right now. um, I believe that there's a possibility that some of you will take a stroll through the atrium after service today. And you might have a conversation that God flat out ordained for you to have before you ever got out of bed this morning. God may want you to have a conversation because God intends for you to jump and to trust him with everything that you've got and to do something with the rest of your life that you never thought you would ever be doing before today. Like what happened to a good friend of mine one time. His name is Jim. Jim, I met seven or eight years ago. Jim today is a missionary in the country of Honduras, but if you were to meet Jim 20 years ago, um, he would not be the guy you would pick out of a crowd to be doing the things that he is doing today. Jim is an engineer. That's what he had done for his entire career. He'd built things. He designed things, constructed things. And and, uh, about 20 years ago, the company he was working for asked him to go to Honduras to help a building project a humanitarian work down in the country of Honduras. And it sounded like an adventure, so he went. And, and it was during that time, he wasn't expecting to have his life changed when he went down there with his company. But God used that little trip to stir something in him. He couldn't really quite articulate what that stirring was at the time, but he came home and had a real huge heart for the needs of the people of Honduras. Jim knew instinctively that that Jesus was to answer to every need, every question. I have a friend, um, a real close friend of mine, who always has every, he answers every question like this. He's having a conversation, and he says, you know what? Jesus is the answer, so what did you want to ask me? Jim kind of knew that. And seemed like Jesus is the answer for these problems, but he didn't really understand at that time what God had in store, but he had a tug. He had a burden. There was a, a pull he didn't know what to do with. He would find out about a week later when he got called into the boss's office and was informed that his position was being eliminated and he was out of a job 
and at a real crossroads in his life, and he asked this question, what in the world am I going to do now? Some of you are very familiar with that question. What am I going to do now? Some of you perhaps asked that question as early as this morning. God, what am I going to do now? Then he had this thought. You know what? I think I'll just go back to Honduras and start doing some of the very things that I was doing for my company. And so that's exactly what he did. At age 50, he went back to Honduras and spent about a year there. And it was during that year that God showed him that he would be the one that he chose to bring the compassion of Christ and the good news of Christ to some people in that country who had never been exposed to it and no access to churches or, or ministries. We're talking about very rural southern Honduras. I'm talking about so rural that some of these places don't even show up on maps. There's no electricity. There's no running water. I mean, it is rugged, and that's where he felt God told him to, to go. I, I've, today, 20 years later, there are now seven churches sprinkled out through the rural area of that part of Honduras. Um, there are plenty of Christians where there was really none before Jim went there. There's now a school there that was not there before. People have um, more access to doctors and medicines that Jim has arranged that they didn't really have that much access to before. And I've had the privilege over the last few years to travel down to Honduras several times and work with him on some projects and do different things. On my last visit, which was back in 2012, we went to this little community, one of those rural, no electricity, no running water, doesn't even show up on a map, little communities of a couple hundred people. And we were there, and five people during our stay decided to follow Christ and get baptized. And I, there's a picture behind me, I believe, of the five people. You can just look at the background. It's pretty rugged living. And the five people that were baptized that came forward that day to, to be baptized were, were there. And you might notice the guy in the middle. He's an older gentleman. His name is Visitation. And uh, it's a new name for me. I'd never heard of anybody named Visitation before. And uh, visitation was very ill. In fact, this is the only time he was really sitting up during our visit. Most of the time he laid on his mat because he just didn't have the strength anymore to sit up um, like the rest of us uh, take for granted so much. Um, but um, he came forward. He said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And when we went to baptize those people that day, um, we brought him down to the water in a wheelchair, and it didn't even dawn on me. I didn't remember this until I was reviewing the pictures um, this week from this trip. The wheelchair that he's sitting in, if you were here this Sunday, we talked about free wheelchair mission. That's one of those chairs. I, didn't, I was looking at those pictures going, hey, one of those chairs, um, one of those chairs made its way down to, to Honduras. And I got a, a note from um, one of our finance team members that said after the Sunday we talked about free wheelchair mission, they said, hey, we got this check for $77.91 that said wheelchairs. What do you want to do with it? Buy a wheelchair. That's what we're going to do with it. It was awesome. I don't know who gave that, but thank you. That was awesome. You're putting somebody in a chair around the world that can't walk. You remember what their, their vision was for their ministry? We want people to sit in our chair and feel like they're sitting in the hands of Jesus. You know, I, I tell you, we're looking at that picture kind of brought that back all again. And so we baptized visitation right there with his wheelchair. And um, I'll never forget that day walking down into that muddy, dirty little river creek. And, and I'll be honest with you, that the thought went through my mind, I sure hope I don't have any open source anywhere 
on my body. And you would have had that thought too if you'd have seen this. But I survived. We baptized those people there. And, and the pastor that I was with, the guy in the yellow shirt to the left, after we were done baptizing, he yelled out the crowd. You can't see in the picture. There's a lot of people around. Does anyone else want to follow Jesus? And I remember this woman coming running down in the water. I do. I do. We baptized her next. It was just, it was just a, a pretty awesome moment that I'm sure I'll carry with me for years and years. Uh, after the baptism, we walked back up to the church that Jim helped the, the community construct. And we went back there for an hour or two. I don't remember how long, but we sang praises to God. And we prayed together and we celebrated what just happened. It was just one of those special, special days. I remember after Jim and I left the, the little village that night, we were not sleeping there. We, um, we, we drove back to a small city. It took us about 30 minutes to get back to a little city community of Cholatega. And of all places, we found ourselves that night because we were hungry. We hadn't eaten anything all day. We were sitting at Burger King. You know what? Burger King in Honduras. And Burger King in Honduras does not taste like Burger King in northwest Arkansas. But anyway, that's beside the point. So we're sitting there, and I looked across the table, and Jim had this half-frozen smile on his face. Okay? It was a different kind of look. Um, and I'm like, Jim, what's going on with all this? I've been looking at this face for a while. And he just he wasn't really even eating, just full already. Does that make sense? And he said, you know, Joe, visitation who we baptized today? I said, yeah, yeah, the guy in the wheelchair, yeah. And he goes, I've been praying for that guy every day for five years. You know, he's never really given me the time or day with Jesus. You know, we'd talk, he'd leave, wasn't really interested, but on this visit, Man, he was totally open. And he said, and with seeing him get baptized and choosing to follow Christ, and he just had a smile on his face. And I'll, I'll never forget what he said to me next. Jim said to me, sitting in that Burger King, he said, Joe, this has to be one of the happiest weekends of my life. Friends, you, you never know how God is going to get a hold of your heart and change the entire course of your life. And maybe even today, God might whisper in some of your ears, like he did Jim and, and many of the people that you're going to meet today out there in the atrium, that little two-letter word, that really powerful two-letter word, and it's just simply this, go, go. I mean, one of the most powerful little words you're going to read in all the Bible, go, it's one of Jesus' most famous words. He said, go. One time, we read about it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. If you spend very much time around the church, you're going to come across this verse. It simply says this, Jesus, this was right before he ascended into heaven. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a passage of Scripture, a very famous couple verses known as the Great Commission. And if you've ever wondered, what is the church all about? If you've ever thought, why do we do what we do? If you've ever thought, why does the church exist? You just come back to these couple of verses. You look no further than the words of Jesus when he said, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded commanded you, and, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. 
I tell you, sharing the gospel is a tremendous responsibility for each and every follower of Jesus Christ. It truly is the Great Commission. But I think, unfortunately, too often in our country, too often in our communities, too often in our churches, it's not so much the Great Commission as we see that as the Great Suggestion. And that's a problem. Because this is not a suggestion. It's not like Jesus said, if you feel like it, if you have time, if it works into your schedule, then why don't you make some disciples? That's not the spirit of what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's why it's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. William Booth is a name that you might be familiar with. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And in 1904, he was uh, invited to England to meet the king. And when he was in the presence of the king, he was asked to sign uh, a guest book, an autograph book, and, and he wrote these famous words. He said, Your Majesty, some men's ambition is art. And some men's ambition is fame. And some men's ambition is gold. My ambition is the souls of men. You will not meet one person today out in that atrium who represents any of our missionary partners who isn't grounded in that same ambition. It's expressed in multiple ways, but at the heart of it all is to make disciples of all nations. So therefore, go. Simple words that has transformed lives for centuries, and only in heaven will we truly know the full extent and the full impact of that little word, go. And how many lives have been changed because somebody answered that call to go. Therefore, go. As I mentioned earlier, these were the last words that Jesus chose to speak while he was here on earth. He had already fulfilled all of his ministry goals and what he had set out to do here on earth. He had already healed all the afflicted. He came to heal and to teach all that he intended to teach. He had already stood up to the religious leaders that had denounced their hypocrisy and their legalism. He's already done that. He, he's already prepared the disciples for what they were going to go and do, which was to launch the church and to go fulfill this incredible mission of making disciples. He had already been nailed to the cross. He had already been laid in the tomb, and he had already resurrected from the grave. He had already appeared to so many people in his resurrected body. And now he appears to his disciples this one last time before ascending into heaven to be at God's side. And the last thing he says is, go. Why did Jesus say it? What did he mean by it? There's this basic rule in Bible interpretation. I've said it probably a hundred times right here from this platform that every time you come to the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask a natural question. What is it there for? And so Jesus said, therefore, go. Well, we come to a therefore. Why did Jesus say, therefore, go? What is it therefore? Let's look at the verse again, chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And Jesus even tells us right there before he said it, why he's saying it. Why I'm telling you to go? Because I have all authority to tell you to do it. I have all authority to shape the world. I have all authority. Everything is under my authority. I've conquered death. I've conquered the devil. I've opened the doors to heaven to anybody who wants to walk in and spend eternity. And so I'm telling you, I have all that authority, Jesus is telling them. So go. It's because of Jesus' authority that we can go and things actually happen in the way that he tells us 
to go. I think the Apostle Paul describes this in greater detail. Well, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Paul elaborates on what that is. Here, listen to this. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, he, speaking of Jesus, as he is the, invisible, is the image of the invisible God. Man, I could just stop right there and spend the next 30 minutes talking about that. Did you hear what he said about Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. You know what he's saying? You see God because you see Jesus. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Then he says, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. I want to stop and talk. There's no time. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that's saying something. And because he has all the authority in heaven and earth, we go. Do we need more motivation than that? Do we need another invitation to go? We're already winners. There's no losing because Christ has already won. And that comes back to that very famous passage of Scripture. I'm just reminded of it now. If God is for us, who can be against us? Therefore, go. Go with confidence. And then he goes on to say this, go and do what? What are we supposed to go and do now? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I don't spend a great amount of time here on Sundays dissecting sentences from the Bible. I mean, really dissecting them, like going back to the original Greek and all that stuff. But this is one of those verses, just very helpful to do so. In the original language, Greek language, we translate our Bibles from the Greek, the New Testament, in this, par- in this passage of Scripture, we find that there is an imperative verb in the Greek. An imperative verb is like a verb of command. And then that imperative verb, there comes with it some participles. And they are like, this is how you carry out that imperative verb. So it's like me, if I were to say to my son, Neil, clean your room. Dust the shelves, making your bed, and vacuuming your floor. The command is what? The imperative is clean your room. That's what I'm telling you to do. Now, here's what cleaning your room is going to be all about. It's going to be dusting, it's going to be vacuuming, and it's going to be making your bed. This verse is very much like that in a similar way. The imperative verb is to make disciples. That's the command. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples to go and do. And then how are we going to accomplish that command? How are we going to obey and fulfill? By going baptizing, and teaching. So in making disciples for Jesus Christ, we must go to where people are that need to hear 
the good news of Jesus. That's the going. That's the action with it. And there comes with it the assumption that we will share that good news. We won't just go and stand and watch. We're going to go and share this good news and that somebody's going to be obedient to that call and respond in faith. And the culmination of that newfound faith in Christ displays itself in Christian baptism. And then we teach them everything that Jesus has taught us and commanded us. It would be wrong of us to believe that the task of disciple-making ends the moment an individual is drying themselves off from the baptistry. That's not where disciple-making ends. It's not like we got them baptized. Whew, our work here is done. No, not at all. Our job of making disciples, it just begins when somebody says, I believe and identify with Christ in baptism. Our task as the people of God is to bring maturity to everyone in the church, everyone who brings their life to Christ. And, and you might say that somebody who chooses to follow Christ, if you choose to follow Christ today, you will spend the rest of your life becoming mature and complete in him. Everybody in this church is on a journey. We're not perfect. We're a fellowship of the imperfect. We're just growing in our knowledge of our Heavenly Father and growing in obedience and growing in the truth and growing and growing and growing. It takes a lifetime to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I say it like this. Salvation happens like this. But it takes your entire life to become everything that God wants you to be. So our task is to help people come to maturity by going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching. So here at New Life, we talk about that very often. We talk about what our mission is as a church. It's to make disciples. So please make no mistake. We're a disciple-making church. We're not perfect at it, but God's grace helps us. I, I love how Jesus chose to call Peter one of his most trusted, faithful disciples. He said to, to Peter, this is now you're going to come do something different. It was it was, a, it was a normal day, I think, in Jesus' life. He had been teaching. People were following him. And Jesus got backed up to the sea, and he stepped out in a boat and began to teach the people. And really close by, there was Peter and some others who were cleaning their nets. You see, the, some of the disciples were fishermen, and they would go fishing at night, and they were out there all night. And the, the circumstances around this day is they had fished all night long. They hadn't caught a thing. And so they were on the shore, and they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus got done teaching the people and he looks over at Peter and he says hey Peter I want you to take that boat out and I want you to go out in the sea and I want you to go fishing again and Peter's response was not overly enthusiastic you can imagine he's tired been up all night he even said master we have worked hard all night long and then there's this beautiful moment and this is the hard part about the Bible you can't always read emotion into everything but if you were going to read some emotion into it I think it would be like this We've worked hard all night. But because you say so, I've seen some stuff. If you tell me to, I'll do it. And in this moment, Peter goes out to the deep water and he throws these nets in. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, the nets just become full of fish. He'd never seen anything like this before. And he begins to drag him in uh, over the side of this boat. I just imagine the scene where his boat is getting lower and lower and lower in the water as more fish come in. Some of those days that some of you fishermen dream about having but you're never going to have. Peter's having one of those moments. 
and his boat is swamped. He's calling others to help, and there's this beautiful moment. Again, you can't read too much emotion. We just don't know, but I'm just going to read into it anyway. Peter falls at Jesus' feet, and I don't think he can look him in the eye, and he says these words that are kind of confusing until you think about him. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, I think it's in that moment that Peter recognizes that he is in the presence of perhaps God. At any rate, whatever he's realizing at that moment, he knows that Jesus is greater than him, and Jesus is perfect. He isn't, and he falls at his feet on top of these stinky, smelly, floppy fish, and he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says something that's just awesome. He says, oh, Peter, you know what? From now on, you're going to catch men. You're going to be a fisher of men. In the time that it took Peter to go fishing, Jesus was reshaping the focus of his entire life. Peter, from now on, you're not going to be catching fish to go sell at the market and feed your family. From now on, you're going to be catching men for me. You're going to be in this disciple-making process. Peter didn't know all that God had in store for him in that moment. But it was an awesome moment. Who provided Peter with that incredible catch of fish that day? Who was ultimately responsible? Was it Peter? Was it because he was this awesome fisherman? No. It was Jesus who put the fish in the net. Why could Jesus put the fish? Why could Jesus command the fish into the net? Because Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. He's already won. He owns all. He sees all. He commands all things. What was Peter's role in this entire thing? It was to go and to drop the nets and to trust. That's all he had to do. And it's no different for us today. The Lord still has authority in heaven and on earth, and we here at New Life still have the responsibility to go. And going includes things like this. Walking across the street and trusting the Lord to have a conversation with a neighbor about the Lord. That's going. Going could look like walking to the office or the cubicle right next to yours at work. Being available to God to be used to have a conversation, to invite somebody to church or to put an arm around somebody's having a hard day. That's going. Might be across the hall in your dorm dormitory. Might be walking across your living room to your son or daughter who you've yet to talk about Jesus with. It's all going. It could be heading across our town. It could be heading across our globe. It's, it's all going. God is responsible for the harvest. We are responsible for the going. And I love the way Jesus describes this. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That really tunes you into how Jesus sees the world. And then he said to his disciples on that day, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Two things you need to see. Whose harvest is it? his who's the lord of it him it's not our harvest we're the workers we're the goers it's his harvest because he has all authority 
in heaven and on earth. God's in control of the harvest. We got to get into the fields. I'll end with this. I heard about a football game that was played one time, and the home team was getting demolished. Not like last night's Arkansas game. Did you guys watch that? That was amazing. I, uh, I, I tuned out the first three, three quarters. I was actually working on this message, you know, and uh, you're welcome. And um, anyway, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I heard it in the background. So I put this down for a few minutes, and I went in to watch the fourth quarter. Didn't know that was going to take two more hours. But anyway, so, but what a minute. So the game I'm describing was nothing like last night. Home team was getting destroyed. And um, after every play, they would lose yards, and and the crowd, the home crowd, was starting to get restless. Somebody yelled out, put in Calhoun, give him the ball. Calhoun was their star player. They run another play, nothing, get destroyed. Calhoun, give it to Calhoun. And the crowd started to get a little bit restless because Calhoun wasn't carrying the ball. They, they had another series, you know, three in, three out, just done. And, and the crowd started cheering, Calhoun. Calhoun. They run another play the next time they get the ball, and, and, and the team just gets destroyed. And the chat, by this point, the crowd should give us Calhoun, give him the ball. And finally, one of the players comes out from underneath the pile because he just gotten screamed, runs off the field, runs up into the stands, and he says, Listen, folks, Calhoun don't want the ball. You know what, I think sometimes that's true in football. And I know it's true of many people who say they follow Jesus. We just don't want to carry the ball of evangelism. That's not how we're going to be. We want God to know that right here at New Life, he can hand us the ball. And we will go with it.